Please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. As you turn to Luke chapter 13, just a few reminders. Encourage you to look at that uh, parenting conference in, in March. You can look on our website and RSVP for that. It's going to be a, a great time. Uh, also, just a reminder, in, in two weeks, we'll be doing our orphan care Bible study, and that's a, a great time in the life of our church for those who are considering how God might be calling them to orphan care ministry. We'll be meeting in two weeks at nine o'clock, just behind the, uh, the curtain here in kind of that back area. And uh, if you want to participate in that, I'd encourage you maybe just send an email to Diane or, the, or myself just so we know. We didn't say that in the bulletin. We don't normally RSVP for that, but I was just thinking about it. it might be good to, to know if, if you're planning on coming to that. You don't need to do that if you just want to show up in two weeks, but we're going to enjoy talking about how God has called us to care for the fatherless. And again, that'll be during our, our Sunday school hour. It'll be a six-week period. And then uh, finally, just a reminder, really encourage you to come back out tonight as we meet at Camp Good News to talk about the inerrancy of God's Word, and we're going to be having our quarterly business meeting, and so we'll be encouraging you to come and enjoy that time of fellowship again this evening. Well, hopefully you're in Luke 13 by now, and if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read His Word, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 30 of Luke chapter 13. I'm reading from a version of the Bible called the English Standard Version, beginning in verse... 22, talking about Jesus here. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets, verse 27, but he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. And you may be seated. May our hearts be encouraged and strengthened through God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together and celebrate it and and talk about it together. And we pray as, as we think about this, this kingdom of yours and, and how we can enter into it, we pray that our, our hearts would be open to your message, that our hearts would be receptive, that you would do your divine work in our hearts, that we can participate in your kingdom through faith. We pray this in your son Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Alistair Begg tells a story of being in Cambridge, Massachusetts one morning. He was speaking later in the day at at some event, and so in the morning he found himself at a a coffee shop and was watching Cambridge, Massachusetts wake up. And as he watched people waking up and he saw the hustle and bustle of of people getting ready in this this university culture, he, he kind of thought about how foolish the gospel was to many in this culture, how many of them had rejected the gospel message. 
And he was thinking about the foolishness of the gospel in this university culture, and, and he was just sitting there watching people in this, this coffee shop. He saw a young Asian woman walk in and, and sit down at a table. He saw her open up a book that looked like a Bible and start reading it. Well, he was curious, and so he walked over, and he saw that indeed she was reading a Bible, and he said, excuse me, ma'am, may I ask you a question? Are you a Christian? And listen to her response. It's beautiful. She said, oh, yes, I've found the narrow way. Isn't that a beautiful description of what it means to be a Christian of how one becomes a Christian. Oh, oh yes, she said, I, I found the narrow way. It, it's beautiful, and it's very biblical. You see, this young woman had grown up in Korea, and, and all her family were, were Buddhist. And she came from that culture that had rejected Christianity, not knowing the name of Jesus Christ, and she came into a, a community that had also largely rejected the gospel message of Jesus Christ, had considered it foolish, and there she found faith in Jesus Christ. She accepted Jesus Christ as the way to eternal life. She rejected the religious beliefs of generations of her family. She rejected the ways that were offered in that culture, and she, she found the narrow way. Oh, yes, she says, I found the narrow way. It's a beautiful and biblical way to describe becoming a Christian. And my belief is that in our culture today, we often use descriptions of becoming a Christian that are, are not necessarily biblical descriptions of what it means to become a Christian. For example, you might hear a person say, I've, I've prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart, or I've accepted Jesus, or I've prayed the sinner's prayer. Or you might be talking to a person, and I've done this before, I've asked them, and tell me how you became a Christian. They say, well, I was at a, an evangelistic crusade, and, and the, the speaker asked if we wanted to become a Christian, and he said, go ahead and stand up if you want to become a Christian. And I stood up, and I, I walked down the aisle, and I became a Christian. Those aren't biblical ways to describe how a person places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and enters into the kingdom of God, are they? You say, well, hold on, Daniel. Are you saying that a young child who asks Jesus to come into their heart isn't a Christian? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that's definitely the case, but I'm saying that's not how Scripture describes becoming a Christian. And if a young person who asks Jesus to come in their heart becomes a Christian, they become a Christian on the basis of a transformed heart as they place their trust in Jesus Christ, not because of an invitation to come into their heart. Very often, in our culture today, we use descriptions of how to enter the kingdom of God, of how to become a Christian that simply are not the descriptions that Scripture uses to describe how one becomes a Christian. Yesterday, I was at McDonald's, and I, I looked up at the McDonald's menu, and I saw many options. I could get a cheeseburger, but I don't like cheese on my hamburgers. I could get a salad, but why do that if you're already at McDonald's? Uh, then I had the choice kind of between a, a southern-style chicken and an Angus burger. And without too much thought, I said, you know what? I'll go with the Angus burger. And if that doesn't work out, next time I come to McDonald's, I can try something different. 
oftentimes, as we describe to a person how they can enter into the kingdom of God, we redefine faith in such a way that it's this this casual commitment. Faith becomes this, this casual commitment, this agreement to some facts about Jesus that is kind of complacent. It's almost like we believe you can kind of stumble into the kingdom of God or, or believe just the minimum amount of facts about Jesus and become a Christian. That's not how Scripture describes how one enters into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not stumbled onto by accident. The kingdom of God is not grabbed hold of by happenstance. What we see here in Luke chapter 13 really is some potentially bad news for many people about the kingdom of God. What we see here is that becoming a Christian is not an easy thing. Becoming a Christian is actually a very difficult thing to do. A person can only become a Christian when God transforms his or her heart in such a way that they're able to place their faith in Jesus Christ rejecting, just like that woman in the story, rejecting all other paths to God and accepting the lordship of Jesus Christ, recognizing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, placing one's trust in him alone. We're going to see some bad news about the kingdom of God. And kind of the central thing that I hope you get as we look at this text together, as we look at these verses together, kind of the central idea that I hope we grasp is that the bad news about the kingdom of God is that you may be excluded from it. The bad news about the kingdom of God is that many may be excluded from it, and I hope that as we look at the bad news about the kingdom of God, we also realize the good news about the kingdom of God, that by God's grace we can participate in it, and we're going to talk about that as well. Well, let's, let's first of all look at verses 23 and following with me as we first of all look at the bad news about the kingdom of God. Let's first look at the bad news of the kingdom of God. See this in verse 22. It says that Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and, and journeying towards Jerusalem. Now, remember, if, if you remember, the, we, as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke, we've seen there's several sections. We began in the Gospel of Luke looking at the birth narratives, the stories of how Jesus was born and John the Baptist's birth, and then we entered into the period of Luke where he's talking about his Galilean ministry, and then we entered into a new phase of the Gospel of Luke where we are talking about Jesus setting his, his uh, face toward Jerusalem. That began at the end of Luke chapter 9. Jesus sets his face, face toward Jerusalem, and we see Jesus in, engaged in this redemptive ministry of the cross or preparing for that redemptive ministry on the cross. That began in Luke chapter 9. And so here in verse 22, Luke is reminding us that he's on this journey toward Jerusalem. And as he goes his way through these towns and villages, he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And as he teaches about the kingdom of God in his journey toward Jerusalem, someone asks him a very important question. Verse 23, someone said to him, Lord, Will those who are saved be few? In other words, what's happened is this person has heard Jesus teaching about the kingdom. They've realized something. This kingdom message that Jesus is teaching is a very difficult message to understand and to comprehend. The entrance requirements into the kingdom of heaven are very profound. Jesus has been talking about how repentance is necessary. And as this person perhaps looks around and sees a lack of repentance, they, they ask this very natural question, hold on, Jesus, 
are there going to be a lot of people saved or only a few? Because uh, frankly, Jesus, uh, it looks like on the basis of what you're saying, it's only going to be a few. It's a great question and a a great heart attitude that asks this question. I, I believe that human beings have a natural sense that something is wrong in their relationship with God. I believe that we as, as human beings should have a, an innate understanding that something has been damaged in our relationship with God, that, that reconciliation needs to take place. I think the same is true in a, in a family situation. Whenever there's a healthy relationship between a, a child and their parents, whenever a child sins and does something wrong or somehow damages that relationship with their parents, whether or not they admit it, a, a child understands that they need to somehow be disciplined and have that relationship restored. We have a, a child that uh, anytime this child disobeys, they become like an attorney trying to strike a plea bargain. Um, at, like at the moment that something goes wrong, they're like, okay, hey, uh, what's the deal here? What can we do to get this thing behind us? I will accept any bargain. Just let's get this thing over with, all right? They, they want that relationship restored. The same should be true. The same should be true between a, a human being and their Heavenly Father, there should be a desire to have that relationship reconciled. And this person in the crowd, as he hears Jesus describe the kingdom, understands that something has taken place in their relationship with God. And as Jesus talks about how a person can be participating in the kingdom, they're confused. Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus replies with the first bad news. Here's the first part of the bad news you must strive to enter the kingdom. That's the first bad news. You must strive to enter the kingdom. Listen to what he says. He says, verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Here's the first bad news. You must strive to enter the kingdom. You can't assume that you're going to naturally be able to participate in the kingdom. That word strive means to toil, to exert oneself. It's the same Greek word that we get the word agony from. It describes this, this physical toil in order to accomplish something. You must strive, you must toil in order to enter through the narrow door. He said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Daniel. Wait a minute. You're saved by faith alone, right? Absolutely. Well, then what's all this, this striving business? Well, what's happened is that we have redefined faith and what faith means. We've redefined faith to mean just some sort of casual commitment. That's not a biblical understanding of what faith, placing one's faith in Jesus Christ, is. Faith, faith we see is something far more profound, something that only God can, can give us. Strive, he says, to enter through the, the narrow door. Now, this person that asked Jesus this question about how many people will be saved would have also had an assumption about who's going to get into the kingdom of God. This person, as a Jew, would have assumed that they're in. In fact, here's what one tradition stated. It said, this is one of the Jewish teachings. It said, all Israelites have a share in the, in the world to come. For it is written, they quote Isaiah 60, 21, Thy people also shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. And so the Jewish tradition, quoting Isaiah 60, 21, said, look, all Jews are in. You're ethnically a Jewish person. You can be confident that you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
In fact, they say the only people that are going to be excluded from the kingdom of heaven are those who deny the resurrection or deny that God's word came from God. Those are the only people that are out. Everybody else, you're a Jew, you're in. That's the assumption regarding the kingdom of heaven that these people had, these Jews had. So, with that assumption, Jesus, throughout his ministry, has been attacking it, attacking this idea that a person can simply assume that they're part of the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 4, remember we talked about this last week, as, as Jesus is entering into his hometown of Nazareth, he, he tells them and reminds them the story of Elijah. He says, this is Luke chapter 4, verse 25, he says, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a, a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath, the, the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. In other words, what Jesus was telling them there in Luke chapter 4 is that even though there were a lot of people in need in Israel, they didn't always receive God's deliverance. In other words, don't assume that you are going to receive God's salvation. And over and over again, in his ministry, he's warned them that being ethnically Jewish doesn't mean that you're automatically going to participate in the kingdom. John the Baptist warns them of the same thing in Luke chapter 3. He says, look, you say we're sons of Abraham, big deal. God can make sons of Abraham out of these rocks. And so there's this assumption that the Jews had that they were automatically going to be a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus attacks that assumption throughout his ministry. And what does Jesus say about how one can enter the kingdom? What he says over and over again, and, and catch this, Jesus says that entrance into the kingdom of heaven requires repentance and faith. Turning from sin toward faith in Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 5, remember as Jesus calls Matthew, the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling at his disciples and saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I've not come to call the righteous, but, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus' message as he proclaims the kingdom of God is, look, just because you're Jewish, don't assume that you're part of the kingdom of God. In order to enter the kingdom, and this is his message and John the Baptist's message, in order to enter the kingdom, it requires turning from sin and in faith accepting me as, as Lord and Savior. That's how one enters the kingdom of God. It's not an easy thing, and only God can cause the heart to turn from sin and, and place one's faith in him. In fact, we looked at this passage a, a while ago, but if you look in Luke chapter 9, just a few chapters earlier, Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to, to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever I, you go, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I'll, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You say, well, what is he saying here? He's saying that following him is not an easy thing. 
if a person is going to truly understand the offer that Christ makes them, they must understand that he is calling them to turn from sin, turn from all other pleasures in life, and turn to faith in him, accepting Jesus Christ alone as Lord and Savior. The offer of discipleship that Jesus offers is not a casual offer. And again, you and I sometimes are guilty of redefining faith to merely saying, you know what, faith in, have faith in Jesus, and faith just means believing a couple facts about Jesus. What God calls us to do in order to enter the kingdom of heaven is, is to strive to enter through the narrow door. A person that is placing, placing one's faith in Jesus Christ is rejecting all of their paths to God, beholding Jesus Christ and saying, Jesus Christ is, is my only way to have a relationship with God, and I am placing my trust in him as Lord and Savior in my, of my life. A person doesn't say, I'm going to place my, my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and, and turn from these sins, except, except for like these five or six sins. These are the ones that I'm going to hold on to. These are the ones I'm going to continue to do. This is how, or these are the areas of my life that I'm going to continue to, to rule over. And Jesus, I'll give you these three. A person doesn't say, I'm going to accept Jesus' gift of salvation, but that's it. Everything else is still mine. So, Jesus, I will accept your offer of salvation. Thanks, appreciate it, but I'm going to continue to do what I want with my time. I'm going to continue to do what I want with my finances. When it comes to raising my children, I'm going to continue to do it the way I want to do it. When it comes to what I view on television, I'm going to continue to do what I want to do. I have no desire to follow you as Lord in those areas of my life. A person who makes that kind of commitment to Jesus doesn't understand what faith is. What Jesus Christ offers is this, look, turn from your sin and accept me as Lord and Savior of your life. Place your faith in me as your Lord and Savior, accepting my offer of salvation and committing to follow me in discipleship. And what I'm suggesting to you this morning is that you and I do a disservice to others as we present a weak, anemic gospel. When we tell people, hey, Jesus wants to be your buddy. Why don't, you, why don't you pray this prayer and you and Jesus can be best buds? That's not the gospel offer. The gospel offer is this. Look, strive to enter the narrow door. This is not an easy commitment to make. This is not an easy decision to make. Only through God's divine work in your life are you going to be able to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You say, well, Daniel, does anyone, does anyone do that perfectly? No, of course not. I have an illustration, and I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how perfect this illustration is. So, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. This isn't scripture. But <laughs> this last week, the kids and I were having a conversation, and, and uh, our youngest daughter came up to me, and she said, we're actually at the table, my, my youngest daughter said, uh, you know, I think I want to get married so I can have soda whenever I want. And the next oldest quickly correct her, no, 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 no. You can have soda when you're a grown-up whenever you want. You don't have to get married. And then another child said, yeah, marriage is boring. Uh, all you do is kiss all the time. And I said, would that that were true. Unfortunately, it's not. 
That would actually be exciting. I'm going to stop now. Um, <laughs> I, said, I said, no, no, no that, that's not the nature of, of marriage. That's not all marriage is. That's not all marriage entails. Now, imagine this. Imagine if we're t- I'm talking to my kids and I said, okay, guys, uh, someday you're going to want to get married. And getting married is really easy. All you got to do is stand up in front of a bunch of people and say, I do, and you're married. That's all marriage is. That's all it is. It's so easy. That's not a very good description of what it means to say I do, is it? Now, in one sense, marriage is very easy. All you need to do is make a commitment with another person. But in another sense, marriage is very hard. As you say those words, I do, you're making a covenant commitment with someone, aren't you? And to rightly prepare a person for marriage, what you have to say is, okay, here's what marriage is. You are committing of yourself to to love this other person, to selflessly sacrifice for this other person, unconditionally love them. And so as you say the words, I do, what you need to understand is you're entering into a covenant relationship with this other person. And as you enter into this covenant relationship with this other person, it's for life. And you are going to seek to serve that person selflessly love them the rest of your lives together. And there is no escape clause. That's how you enter into the covenant relationship of marriage. Well, when it comes to our relationship with God, some people have have said, look, I'm just going to tell people the bare minimum. Hey, who wants to pray this prayer with me and and receive eternal life? That's not how Scripture describes how a person becomes a part of God's kingdom. A person who's going to become a part of God's kingdom needs to understand, look, here's, here's the problem. You have violated God's law. You've violated God's character. You're separated from God. God wants to have a relationship with you. And you can receive God's free gift of eternal life by repenting of your sins, by turning from these things that are keeping you from God and saying, I no longer want to pursue those things, and I'm, I want to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm committing to follow him in discipleship. I'm trusting in him alone. Now, of course, you're not going to follow through in that commitment perfectly, but a person, but a person who enters into a relationship with God is saying, I no longer am holding myself as Lord of my life, any area of life. I, in, I am instead am committing to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. And a person who enters into that relationship with God and says, or tries to enter that relationship with God, saying, I'm going to do some things I want to do and something God wants to do. The main thing I want is just the free ticket to heaven. Is a person who doesn't understand the gospel message. The first bad news about the kingdom of heaven is you have to strive to enter it. The door is narrow. The application, of course, is, is very profound. You and I must make sure that we ourselves understand the gospel message rightly. As we think about a relationship with God, we ask ourselves, okay, is there some areas of my life that, yeah, they're not perfect, but I've committed at least to, to saying, God, I know that you need to be Lord of these areas as well. And I'm not holding on to them. I, I want you to be Lord of these areas. Or do we say, you know what? These are my things. These are God's things. If, if that's the attitude of our heart, this is the areas I'll follow God in. These are the areas I won't. We haven't understood the gospel. You haven't striven to enter the kingdom of God. A person who enters the kingdom of God has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, turning from their own works, turning to faith in him. The application is also profound as we think about our relationship with other members of our family. Yesterday at the Awana quizzing competition, I was talking with some people about 
uh, co-workers that, that hadn't placed their faith in Jesus Christ and, and about uh, the necessity to have God transform their hearts, to have God transform our, our children's hearts. Uh, very sad story. One time I was a- approached by a, an individual and he said, um, I'd like you to come over to my house and and pray with my husband. He's he's dying. He has he has days left to live. She said, I, I want you to come and I want you to pray with my husband. I want you to pray the sinner's prayer with my husband. He's rejected Jesus his entire life. He's he's always said he wants to be in control of his own life. He doesn't want religion. And so I want you to just come over and, and pray the sinner's prayer with him. Get him to say that and become a Christian. I said, Oh, would that it were that easy. But it's not. The door is narrow. And a person who's going to become a, a follower of Jesus Christ must, must turn from being Lord of their own life and place their faith in Jesus Christ. If a person doesn't do that, by God's grace, they're not part of God's kingdom. That's bad news for many people strive to enter the narrow door. The first aspect of the bad news here about the kingdom of God is you must strive to enter it. The second part of the bad news is that your time to enter the kingdom is limited. Your time to enter the kingdom is limited. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, when once the master of the house is risen, in other words, remember what he's saying here, strive to enter through the narrow door. Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not find it. Verse 25, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand, and, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I, I do not know where you come from. Your time to enter the kingdom is limited. The bad news continues. Not only must you strive to enter through the narrow door, rejecting all other paths, but coming through this narrow door to have access with God. Not only is that true, the time to get through that door is limited. You don't have this, this, this uh, infinite amount of time to make the decision to enter through that narrow door. There are a lot of things that, that limit the time that we have. One thing that limits the amount of time that we have is just simply our, our physical life. You and I are not going to live forever. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So our time to make the decision to enter through the narrow door is, is finite. It's limited, first of all, by our physical lives. The time to enter through the narrow door is also limited. It's also limited by the fact that Christ is going to return. And when Christ returns, he's going to come to, to judge the living and the dead. It's, it, that's it. The time's over. But you know what else our time is limited? Not only is our time limited by our physical life, not only is it limited by the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return, Our time is also limited because there's something that happens within the human heart as it continues to reject the gospel message. The human heart can be hardened beyond the point of repentance. The writer of Hebrews describes this in Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Look, take care, watch out, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He says in verse 15, as it, or let me read verse 14 too. It says, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. 
as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 19 says that he describes the Israelites, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. There is a, a time in which the human heart be, can become so hardened to the gospel that they can no longer respond in repentance. Second Corinthians 6.2, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time, now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 12.17, describing Esau, says that Esau Afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he saw, he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The first part of the bad news about the kingdom of God is that you have to strive to enter it. Secondly, your, your time to enter the kingdom is limited. There's not an, an infinite amount of time in which a person can enter the kingdom of God. I'm not by nature a procrastinator. I don't enjoy the idea of of things, kind of commitments hanging over me. And every single one of us in certain areas of our lives has these things that that come due on a regular basis, right? When I was in seminary, uh, we had a professor that sometimes as we talked about a text and the different meanings that a text could have, he said, yeah, that's great, guys. You can talk about this all you want, but remember, it's Saturday night and Sunday's coming, I didn't really understand what he was saying. I was like, that's a really cute expression. But what he meant was you need to understand that whenever you get in ministry and you're preaching every Sunday, you can get to Saturday night, and no matter how you know, much you still need to do, Sunday morning still comes. I've thought about that often over the last few years. It's Tuesday morning, and Sunday's coming. It's Wednesday night, and Sunday's coming. It's Friday, and Sunday's coming. It's, it's Sunday. It comes. The time is limited. The time is finite. It's true in every area of our life, and it's true when it comes to the gospel message. Your time to respond to the gospel message is limited. And many of us are playing a very dangerous game. We believe that we can put uh, one foot in the world and kind of keep that, that other foot hovering over the kingdom of God. And we can say, okay, at that last moment, I'm going to shift my weight, and then I'm going to place my faith in Jesus Christ. Then I'm going to turn from loving the things of the world. Then I'm going to turn from, from, from striving to enter through the wide and broad gate. But not yet. Watch out. Because several things can happen. One your time could be limited. Your physical life could be over today. Secondly, Christ could return this moment. But even if those two things seem like kind of remote possibilities, like, yeah, I could die today, but odds are in my favor. Yeah, Jesus could come back, but probably not. Understand this. Your time is also limited because of the way love of the world works in the human heart. And right now, you may say, yeah, I, can, I, I, I love the things of God, but I also love the things of the world, and, and when push comes to shove, eventually I'm going to choose to love God. Understand, that's not how the human heart works. The longer you wait, the more in love with the things of the world you become. And the deceitfulness of sin is, is such that it causes us to not even realize rightly how the love of the world is growing in our hearts. 
The bad news about the kingdom of God is your time is limited. Behold, today is the day of salvation. If you have have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, my exhortation to you is going to be now, even in the quietness of your heart, you say, boy, all these things, the world that I love so much, all these these pleasures that I've been pursuing, all these attitudes that I don't want to let go of, these bitterness, this anger, this this selfishness that I don't desire to, to let go, let it go. Repent of those things. Today is the day of salvation and place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So the first bad news about the kingdom of God is you have to strive to enter it. Secondly, your time to enter the kingdom is limited. And then the bad news just keeps getting worse. The third bad news about the kingdom of God is that your assumption that you're part of the kingdom of heaven, your assumption that you're part of the kingdom may be wrong. Your assumption that you're part of the kingdom may be wrong. Continue looking at the text with me, if you would. Verse 26, remember these people have just been told that they can't enter the kingdom, the door is shut. Verse 26 says, Jesus says, this is what you're going to do. He says, then you will begin to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not in the text, actually. Um, Hang on. We ate and we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. What do you mean you're shutting the door on us? What do you mean you don't know where we come from? We're you. We're identified with you. Matthew 7 has a parallel passage to this, kind of the same idea. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. That's uh, Matthew 7, 21. Then verse 22 says, same idea. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Hold on, Jesus, what do you mean you don't know who we are? Lord, Lord, we're, we're buds. I mean, we did some amazing things in your name. We participated in the church. We went to Bethany Community Church. We had a Bethany community sticker on our car. We stayed under the speed limit with that thing, didn't we? (laughs) You know who I am? What do you mean you don't know who I am? Jesus says, look, (laughs) you're assuming something about yourself that's not true. You're assuming you're identified with me. You're assuming you're part of the kingdom. But you know what? Your actions betray you. Your actions betray the true condition of your heart. He says you're workers of evil. The Matthew passage says you're you're workers of, of lawlessness. Does your life Reflect your conf- confession that you've made. Jesus points to their actions and says, look, you haven't understood the gospel. You've, you've assumed you understand the gospel, but, but you haven't. You know, I, I, I try not to be a very controversial person. I, I don't enjoy conflict. Sometimes I say things that, that I don't even know are, are going to be controversial. I was at a youth worker luncheon one time and when I was a youth pastor and I was sitting across the table from some people who were involved in an evangelistic teen ministry and we were talking about the, the gospel and the, how they worked at this evangelistic teen ministry. And I, so I asked one of the workers, I said, well, tell me, um, you know, I asked a question that I often ask people. I said, you know, you, 
how, how do you share the gospel with people? They said, well, that's kind of a gotcha question. It's like, wow, I, I thought that was kind of your job to share the gospel. And apparently this person came from a background where they, had, they, they taught a different gospel than the, evan- the, the, the gospel of Scripture, and so they, they felt very offended that I even asked the question. Your assumption that you're part of the kingdom of God may be wrong. And the most loving thing that we can do for ourselves and for other people is to ask ourselves the hard questions. Do we rightly understand the good news of Jesus Christ? Because our assumptions about being part of the kingdom of God may be incorrect. Here's the last part of the bad news. The last part of the bad news we see in verses 28 and 29, or excuse me, uh, verse 28. In verse 28, the last part of the bad news is that you may face the anguish of exclusion from the kingdom. That's the last part of the bad news. You may face the anguish of exclusion from the kingdom. Here's what he says, verse 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And so here's the picture here. Uh, you, you didn't understand that you had to strive to enter through the narrow door. You didn't understand that your time in which to do so was limited. And furthermore, the more part of the bad news is, is you just kind of assume that you're already in anyway. And and now, whenever the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, remember last week we saw that the kingdom of God begins small and then it gets large. It it starts off hidden and then it becomes revealed. And so in that day when the kingdom of God is is revealed, when the the largeness of the kingdom is seen and the glory of God is proclaimed through the establishment of his kingdom, you don't get to participate in it. You see all these, these Jewish prophets, Abraham, is in the kingdom. Isaac is in the kingdom. Jacob is in the kingdom. All the prophets are in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves are not there. We see in the the next verse that even other people, Gentiles are part of this kingdom of God, and you aren't. You're not invited to the party. That's bad news indeed, isn't it? So that's the bad news. And the bad news is bad. The bad news is that you may assume you're part of the kingdom and not be. But here's the good news. Let's look at the good news of the kingdom of God here as we look at verses 29 and 30. And, and just as the bad news was bad news indeed, the good news is good news indeed. And the good news, listen to me carefully here, for all the bad things that I've, saying, uh, I've said this this morning, been saying this morning, listen to this good news. The good news is that you have the opportunity to be included in the kingdom of God. And so, yeah, the main idea that I want you to grasp this morning is the bad news about the kingdom of God is that you may be excluded from it, but equally important is to understand the good news is that you also may be included in it through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Here's what he says, verse 29, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This good news about the kingdom of God is expansive. In fact, why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 87. 
you go back to the kind of the middle of your Bible is the book of Psalms, and go to Psalm 87. Psalm 87 is this amazing passage that, that communicates the same thing about the expansiveness of the kingdom of God. Psalm 87. The door is narrow, right? The door is narrow to enter the kingdom of God, but also there's an expansiveness. It, it, it's, it's the, the kingdom of God is far narrower than we can imagine, but it's also far more expansive than we can imagine. Here in Psalm 87, this is an amazing psalm. It describes, it describes how expansive God's worship is. Verse 1 of Psalm 87, on the holy mount stands the city he founded. He's talking here about Jerusalem. The Lord, and listen to the part that he loves about Jerusalem the most, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. And, and why does he love the gates of Zion? Because it's the gates of Zion through which people can enter into Jerusalem. He says, glorious things are spoken, O city of, of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Cush. This one was born here, they say. What's happening? What's happening is through these gates into Jerusalem, people from different nationalities are, are coming into the city of Jerusalem to worship. And as they enter in through these gates of the city to worship, it's like they're being reborn. These people who are entering through these gates who are actually born in, in different locations are said to be born of the kingdom, to be born of the city. They're, they're like natural citizens. They receive full participation in the city life. Verse 5 and of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her, for the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. The person from Babylon had no hope of finding Yahweh God in Babylon. In that sense, entrance into the kingdom of God is ex extremely narrow. And yet it's also extremely expansive. The person from Babylon can reject a false path to God, can reject the path of self-sufficiency. The person from Babylon can reject generations of people who failed to pursue Yahweh and can enter through the gates. And as they enter through the gates, they can be reborn. As they find the narrow way to God, they can be reborn and be called inhabitants of Jerusalem. But the springs aren't found in Babylon. The spring isn't found in Ethiopia. The spring of salvation is found in Jerusalem. All my springs are in you, the psalmist says in verse 7. The bad news about the kingdom of God. There's bad news about the kingdom of God. People have to strive to enter it. A person can't just stumble into the kingdom. You can't wake up one day and say, you know what? I think I'm going to try Christianity today. I think I'm going to give it a shot. 
If it doesn't work out, eh, I'll try something else. A person enters into the kingdom of God as they find that narrow door. And they say, you know what? I'm going to turn from my myself being the Lord of my life. I'm going to turn from self-sufficiency, and I'm going to place my hope and my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And yes, it's true that a person who makes that commitment is going to stumble. But even the genuine believer who stumbles in that commitment is going to say, that's still my desire. Even as I stray from that path, my desire is to get back on it and to pursue that, that road that God has called me to walk. This morning, if, if you say, you know what, Daniel, I have zero desire to make Jesus Christ as, as Lord of my life in all areas. And I say, you know what, I don't think you've found the narrow door. You say, but Daniel, I, I prayed this prayer. I, remember, I was sitting on my mom's knee, and I prayed a prayer. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I found it in a booklet. It said, if you want to become a Christian, pray this prayer. I prayed that prayer. I have a date. I signed this piece of paper. Big deal. Big deal. The door's narrow. And if right now in your heart you say, you know what, I don't have a desire to make Jesus Christ as Lord of my life, I tell you, you, you haven't found the narrow door. There's a very real possibility you haven't found the narrow door. But if you say, Daniel, my desire, my heart's desire is that Jesus Christ would be Lord and Savior of my life. I, I've turned my life to him. I've repented of my sins. I've said those things aren't going to bring me joy. Those things aren't what I want to pursue. Yeah, I still struggle, but my heart is, desire is to make Jesus Christ, and I have made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. I've placed in my, my trust in him alone. There's no plan B for me. I say, you, you found the narrow door. That's the good news. And God's kingdom is expansive for all who would make that commitment, all who would place their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. And my encouragement to you today, if you've not made that commitment, that you would do so. And if you have made that commitment, you'd be very careful about how you proclaim the kingdom of God to other people. Sometimes, and this is born out of a good heart's desire, sometimes we just so desperately want people to, to make professions of faith. We, we make the entrance requirements so minimal. Look, just say something nice about Jesus, and, and that's faith. That's not faith. The door is narrow. As that woman that we talked about at the beginning of our time together said, I've found the narrow way. My prayer would be that each of us would find that narrow way and proclaim the narrow way to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you that you've given us the opportunity to find it, to lay hold of it. We know that we cannot lay hold of it apart from your transformative work in our lives, that you, the, the faith that you give us in order to participate in your kingdom. We pray that we would have true biblical faith a faith that trusts in you alone as our Lord and Savior. We pray this in your Son Jesus' name. Amen.